You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. It's going to be a two-hour preview of the Seahawks' upcoming game. The home game, or the home finale, this one against the Detroit Lions. Maybe in a field that's a little less snowy, although it's not great out there in Seattle right now. And Dave, just so everyone at home, if you aren't streaming it, 710sports.com slash video, you look very dapper today, Wyman. What are you up to? Uh, I just did. I uh, had to go into to town and uh, tape uh, Seahawks Saturday night. Oh, how uh, very exciting. Not, not doing it out at the Seahawks anymore. So, yeah, I had to put on a fancy tie and the whole thing. I, if you look at Jake and Stacy's profile shot, I, I kind of have the same outfit as Jake. Uh, kind of a reddish tie yeah. with a light yep, blue shirt. Yep. Very dapper. That's right. If I look like Jake Heaps, I mean, that's all I need. I, I thought you were going to say like me. I mean, I, I'm also assuming here, Dave, that I just thought you got dressed up for the huddle. I mean, it's, yeah. it's one of my favorite times of the week, one of my favorite days. So I thought that this was just excitement about the, the preview. Now, as part of the preview, as you guys all know, we do take a look back. So let's start with that one. And Dave, as always, I'll start with you here. Look, there's sometimes like famously like a turning point to games and I think if you were going to look at this game this loss against Chicago you'd say oh the turning point was that touchdown to Jimmy Graham but how about before all of that how did they get there Dave what happened yeah well and you mentioned that throw and here's the thing that really frustrated me about that that's how we should have used Jimmy Graham when he was here <laughs> thank throw you. it up throw it up man and we talked to John Reed this week I think we're going to run that today but um you know, he was he was on on Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham posted him up, used his height. And, you know, and that was a third and 14. So, mm -hmm. guys, the defense gave up first downs on third and eight, third and nine, third and 10, second and 11. They gave up 14 yards um, and then third and 12. I don't know if I mentioned that one, 15 yards on a first and 20. And then that play was a third and 14. So, you know, you see they were 50% on, on first downs, the, uh, the, the bears were, but my gosh, they were in such ugly situations, you know? So, uh, I was just, you know, filming a thing with, uh, with Steve Rabel and he always talks about finishing, you know, and, and it's about, you know, concentrating and that kind of applies to third down. You've got to finish. You've got to make Make plays on third down so yeah, it was very frustrating to watch and, and you know both offensively and defensively I mean it looked like they were going to have a 10 point win mm -hmm. and then things just went south in the second half and that's again about finishing Jake what do you see it, it is it is about finishing and that to me is the biggest problem because look there, there were things that were problems throughout the game but ultimately after Russell Wilson throws that touchdown pass to Gerald Everett they're in firm control of that game. There is an opportunity for them to seal that game and for there to be little drama uh, after that point. And missed opportunities on uh, a, a third down conversions, being able to generate a drive, uh, being able to come up with the stop, uh, missing a field goal. I mean, those, those are the that's the name of the game. And, and I know what is being taught by Pete Carroll in that building, in that in that uh, locker room, in those meetings at that time when it comes down to, you know, just talking through um, doing right longer. And, Dave, you're talking about paying attention to the little details and focusing on those moments and executing. That is being talked about to no end by Pete Carroll and this coaching staff, and that's got to be incredibly frustrating when the fundamental principles that are in your program are things that, these, that, that your guys are just not executing on uh, when it comes to game day. 
Yeah, I would imagine one of the more frustrating things for Pete Carroll and I guess anyone on this team is looking at some of the trends that have persisted, uh, not converting on third down, 30% there. Uh, and just wondering, you know, how many times can you really uh, look at the season and point to the opponent and say, what did they do before you kind of have to point to yourself and say, what are we doing? Um, Dave, what kinds of things, and this is a question for both of you, when you're just not converting on third down, is it quarterback play? Is it the offensive line? Is it a multitude of issues? How do you fix a problem when it appears week in and week out? Yeah, well, I always say, you know, and I was talking about it, complaining about it on the defensive side, but, you know, third down's just another play. You just, you have to just execute in general. So, like, if you go and watch a game uh, and you, you're not aware of the sticks or anything like that, you're just looking at individual plays. You know, look, I, it, when you get in third and really long, yeah, I mean, that's that's something that's different, but... You know, it just it's just about uh, everybody playing together. And we've kind of mm-hmm. talked about, like, on the defensive side, I can't help it, Jake. Uh, you're the offensive <laughs> guy. I got to go defense. Sorry, Stacey. Um, That's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I just – you look at um, – some of the situations that that they get in and that they're not playing and i've talked about them giving up all the yardage yeah points i get that but the yardage just indicates that that they're not playing together so there was a number of things that uh, and then also look john reed uh, he played that really well i thought he did a good job on the edge i thought we played well on the edge uh, even ugo amati he played well meaning turning plays running plays back inside for corners and they're all little guys but um but yeah then you know later on ugo just he didn't tackle well at all he wasn't wrapping up i mean it's it's like basic fundamental things and it's kind of funny at the end of the year you kind of get away from the fundamentals. I mean, you practice that during camp and everything, but, yep. you know, you don't have, like, tackling drills and taking on blocks and things. You, you kind of – those kind of go to the wayside. And I think, you know, I remember coaches specifically going, hey, guys, we're getting sloppy. We need to get back to that. And then going out and practicing it and, and things like that. That's what it looked like to me. It looked like they just got sloppy in certain situations. And, you know, look, I mean, Ugo knows this better than anybody. You can't throw a shoulder into – a guy in the NFL he's not going to go down you have to wrap him up and that happened I think three times with him so yeah it's it's those kinds of little things I mean every on every play you could go through and if you were in the the meeting room and it's what I miss the most I really miss being in there and being able to see like oh this guy was supposed to be in this gap and he wasn't there and or a guy didn't attack the line of scrimmage that's the the kind of thing that's losing them football games right now it is, and and you come back to the offensive side, Dave. Uh, and and when you look at this offense, it really is predicated off of the idea that just Russell Wilson is not totally in rhythm and and comfortable, and it is something that is odd to witness and watch because you did feel like at one point in time after the injury as you watch the two games between the 49ers and the Houston Texans that okay Russell Wilson's back he's he's feeling more confident he's he's making great decisions uh, these are two different style of games where one Russell Wilson needed to get his ball out of, uh, the ball out of his hands quickly managed the game well 30 to 37 then you go to the Houston Texans game he's able to take you know deeper shots down the field extend plays so you start to see Russ be more like Russ and then you you go back to these next two games where you watch the Rams and you watch the Chicago game. Really, when it came down to the Chicago Bears game this last week, it came down to, guess what, just a couple of plays. R- Russ played well 
for a good chunk of the game, but in, in these critical moments, you know, particularly uh, the you know third down miss to DK Metcalf, uh, that is jarring to see. When you see, all right, they, they recover from that, they go and score, uh, Gerald Everett touchdown, and then after that, you see uh, the sack that he takes that leads to a missed field goal. Jason Myers has got to make that, but Russ, you got, you, you've got to continue to keep putting your guys in the best position possible. Then you go to the final drive of the game where you know Russell's throwing the ball at the feet of Tyler Lockett, uh, and, and you're not able to generate a first down uh, in a drive in a moment where for years and years and years, Russell Wilson's one of the most feared quarterbacks in the league in those two-minute situations, in those end-of-game moments. And so uh, it, it's really hard to put one thing on why that is happening. But the one thing that I keep coming back to is being comfortable, uh, being being hesitant, and just not truly, um, you know, just letting it go. And, and I think that that's one thing in this game that I want to see from Russell Wilson is to see him in command, see him be more accurate, um, and just see him play confidently like we know he's capable of. Hey, really quick, you know, we're doing this on our show today, and we kind of previewed it yesterday, and this has to do with Russell Wilson, and we're talking about New Year's resolutions. And one of the things for Russ that, that, I, would, uh, that I would wish for him and that, that he should make a, a New Year's resolution, have fun. Have more fun. Capture the joy of the game. And that might sound corny, but look, that's why we all play. And I just, you haven't seen that much from Russ. And look, I know things are going wrong. And I know he had the, you know, the injury. That'll definitely bring you down. But I'd like to see him, you know, have fun out there. You know, now the situations aren't allowing it because, you know, he's, yeah, there's an interesting thing with the chemistry with him and DK. You know, Lockett, you mentioned the the missed throws and stuff like that. But, like to see him get back just go out there i had had a slump one time i wasn't playing really i wasn't playing well i came off of a bad year it was 1991 i played maybe i did meet my wife that year so that made that year ultimately really it was good. the best yes <laughs> but uh yeah it was terrible and so going into the 92 season there's a guy named uh, keith millard who uh, was nfl mvp i think he had like 20 sacks or something wow. and we were talking and it was very cool of him to do this but he's like Hey man, you're not you're not having fun. You got to go out there. Like, do you remember when the recess bell rang? How excited you would get as a kid to go run out on the playground? He's like, that's how you have to be out on the field. And mm-hmm. you know, I think you gotta you gotta capture that. I'd like to see that from Russell Wilson. See, I like to stay inside and, and color and draw during recess, but I guess uh, <laughs> that is really the biggest difference between us. We'll be getting back to all of this. Uh, we do, though, have to break, but don't worry. We'll be joined by John Boyle, so we're going to continue this conversation in just a couple minutes. This is The Huddle. Don't go anywhere. This is The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Ross. You know, Dave was talking about just the idea of having fun when you're out there and making sure that you're enjoying your time, saying maybe Russell Wilson would benefit from that. You told a story about 1991, someone reminding you, hey, don't forget to have fun out there sometimes that can help and jake you were about to say something so while we uh work to get john boyle on i'll throw to you yeah so i can relate uh personally but it's also something that's unique because it's something that russell has talked about a couple weeks ago he he mentioned in his own presser how he's just focused on trying to have joy like he he literally said that so it it is you know uh, david is of that mind that i think you're you're 100 right on is you can say that, but when you're in the midst of it and you go through your struggles and things aren't working, it's it, it's tough to 
overcome that and stay with it and stick to that. And that's something that he's been so great at, you know, in his career in general that, um, you know, that he's he's going through it right now. And it's it's unique to watch because we've never seen it before. All right. Let's talk about what the Seahawks are going through with John Boyle, reporter for Seahawks.com. Hey, John, how's it going? It is going good. How are you all doing? Fantastic. I mean, we're looking ahead to the Seahawks' final home game. They've got one more game against the Arizona Cardinals, that one on the road. We'll talk about that when we get there. Let's talk about the Lions first. And by talking about the Lions, I mean, look at who the Seahawks are getting back. So what's uh, who's going to be back on this team that might have missed last week? I mean, the main thing is getting guys back from COVID. We saw, you know, we saw Brian Monet come off the list. We saw DJ Reed come off the list. Well, this week, they're getting close to full strength again. Um, I, Brandon Shell's still doing with that shoulder Alex Collins is still dealing with that abdomen injury, so we don't know for sure if they're, you know, who's going to play injury-wise yet. That's kind of TBD. The the one big one that popped up we didn't know about was a concussion for Puna Ford. You know, sometimes guys get through a game fine and then the symptoms show up later, which I'm going to guess is what happened there because we didn't see him leave that game on Sunday. So he'd be a one one to watch going into this week. But overall, with guys coming off the COVID list, they are getting healthier. Hey, Boyle, stop me if I, I – well, no, don't stop me if I, I said this last week. But, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you about Carlos Dunlap because I, I ran some – you know, looked at some numbers. Just very interesting. So his first 10 games, he averaged – his snap count, he averaged 44% of the plays, the first 10 mm-hmm. games. And in that, in that period of time, he had a half a sack. He did knock down four passes, but he had only 18 tackles. You look at the last five – and he's averaged 26% as far as participation goes. And yet he has six sacks and 12 tackles and, and knocked down a couple passes. So it's just very interesting to me. I know he's got a, a, he signed a two-year deal, but w- where are they kind of with him? Because, Pete, one of the things he said was, well, we need to get guys like Rasheem Green and LJ Collier in there. But, you know, I can understand that, uh, that Carlos might be a little bit frustrated being only, you know, 26% on average. I know they've gone up in the last couple games, but still, it's, uh, it's kind of a, an oddity. Yeah, it's been an odd year for him. You know, as you mentioned, it was, it was a quiet first half of the season. His role got reduced, as Pete Carroll said, to kind of try to get some other guys involved. And then he had that game against the 49ers. I think he had seven snaps, and one was a sack for safety, and the other one was that fourth down pass that he batted down yeah. to, to secure the win. So that sort of got him more opportunity, and he's sure made the most of it lately. I mean, he's still not playing a ton, but – He's just been really good the last few weeks, getting, you know, obviously the five sacks jump out, but he's just been really active. And it is interesting, you know, you, you wonder halfway through the season kind of where he was out with his future, but now he looks like a guy that could definitely be part of your future and a really productive guy. And, and as C. Carroll's noted, it tends to go this way last year. When he gets going, it gets other guys going too. And we've seen Rasheem Green look really good of late. And just that whole pass rush has come alive a little bit. John, one of the other things that you talk about coming alive is Rashad Penny. I mean, in a big way, yeah. and he's got an opportunity to continue to build his resume over the next two games. But then it just puts this really, really interesting position for the Seahawks in terms of what do you do with Rashad Penny? And how big does his market become? I mean, I don't imagine it blows up by any means, but I would imagine that it would become competitive, however. So uh, where do the Seahawks and Rashad Penny uh, sit right now, and, and what do you think is the avenue that they will try to go down at the end of the year? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, if you'd asked me a month or two ago, you know, I think everyone, myself included, would have thought, okay, well, it just didn't work out. He, you know, he could do the fresh start, they'll move on. But he's suddenly looking exactly like what they expected when they drafted him. And if he can finish the season out with two more healthy games, I mean, to me, that's bigger than any stats he puts up is just stacking these games back to back to back where he's the lead guy getting double digit carries and coming out of it healthy. So look, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to predict, be able to predict the running back market. It's one of the hardest ones to gauge just because teams are always hesitant to put big money into a position that guys do get hurt so often, but you're going to need that. I mean, even if you're getting Chris Carson back from that surgery, He's been banged up enough. You're going to need depth and just in general that position. That's not a knock on Chris Carson. Just guys get hurt there. I mean, the Marshawn Lynches of the world who never got hurt are incredibly rare at running back, and usually you're going to need two or three guys to get you through a season. So I think at this point they'd love to have him back. It's just, you know, where the market goes and, you know, what he wants as well. I mean, you know, even if the money's equal, you can never force a guy to resign. So we'll see where it all goes. But, it definitely seems a lot more likely he's part of this team than it would have a month ago. Speaking of running backs, Adrian Peterson landed on the injured reserve. And while that's disheartening for his season, I don't think anyone expected that he'd come in and save the Seahawks run game. However, uh, Pete Carroll said he has had a huge impact on Rashad Penny. What does he mean by that? What's that relationship been like? Uh, how is he helping them? I mean, can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's just sort of been the example setting part. We heard it from a couple guys of he came in that very first day. Of the, I mean, this is a guy with a Hall of Fame resume who's on a practice squad, and he just came out going full go in that first walkthrough and kind of turning some heads like, okay, this guy's taking this really seriously. And then Penny's also talked about just some of the conversations they've had. You know, I think some of the more physical running we've seen out of Rashad Penny these last couple of weeks comes from Adrian Peterson. And, you know, he also credited Chris Carson when talking to him about that as well. But I think he's just his presence, his, you know, his work ethic, just sort of some of the tone he set, even in a very limited time here, rubbed off on a guy like Rashad Penny quite a bit. Hey, uh, Dan Campbell's interesting, Boyle. Uh, he, um, you know, you see at the end of the year, like his players – seem to love him and what i call him a meathead but he's a lovable meathead i mean he's like gronkowski <laughs> you know one to no one situation that too a little bit <laughs> nicely done boyle sorry uh, Dave. Love uh, i apologize no no it was good it was it was well done uh no but I, I, honestly i i feel like players will sniff out if a guy is insincere if that's not who he is and it seems like he he really is that kind of guy and it seems like he's got his guys playing for him and that's that's really all that matters right for sure and it, to me it's really telling when a team starts as bad as they did and then starts getting some late season wins like, against good teams i mean the, they've beaten the vikings and the cardinals in recent weeks that are both either you know playoff teams or playoff contenders at this point and looked really good beating the Cardinals a couple of weeks ago. So you're right. I mean, when you see those press conferences, he's talking about biting kneecaps and all that, it does come across. You wonder like, is this for real? And you know, it, are guys going to see through it as you said, but they seem to really like playing for him. I mean, that was his reputation before he was a head coach of when he was an assistant coach, the guys just loved him. And that's part of why he got that job. So, you know, we'll see long-term how it goes, but I do think, this is not a situation where bad team guys are mailing it in. I mean, they're, they're fighting hard for him. They seem to like playing for him. Now, you did say lovable meathead for me, right? 
Uh, yeah, I just want, it was just want to clear that up. Okay, that that's not just meathead. Lovable meathead. No, no. Right. Lovable meathead. There we go. <laughs> uh, John, one, as you're looking at this matchup and, and you're previewing it and getting a feel and a sense for where everybody's at, what do you think is going to be the key heading into this game? You know, for me, it's just about, especially on offense, just this team kind of being what it should be and doing what it should. You know, the Lions happen to be a pretty bad third-down defensive team statistically, so this would be a great week for Russell Wilson and all his receivers and tight ends and everything to kind of get on track. And, you know, obviously the season is not going to go the way anybody wants it to regardless of the next two weeks, but it would be nice to see a couple weeks of this offense looking like what they want it to and give you give you some hope going forward that, you know, hey, as bad as this was, if, you know, if Russell Wilson's healthy and, and guys are all on the same page, there's there's something good here. So that, you know, regardless of any specific, you know, player versus player type matchup, I just want to see the Seahawks offense really get going these last couple of weeks. You and me both and all of us. He is John Boyle, a reporter for Seahawks.com. He joins us every week for the huddle. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, back-to-back player interviews here. First, we'll go to Ryan Neal. We'll talk to Will Disley a bit after that. Then we'll go in the trenches with Ray Roberts. Lots of great stuff coming your way next on The Huddle. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. We're going to be joined by Ryan Neal, joined by Will Disley, and then get into a couple conversations with a few Seahawks experts before we get to any of that, though. Both you, Dave, and you, Jake, and your girl have been doing our own research into this Lions team. Dave, I'll start with you, though. Uh, let's specifically, since we'll be starting with a conversation with Ryan Neal, talk about what the D- uh, Detroit Lions defense brings. I know they're not stellar against the run. They've kind of struggled all year long, but Dave, is there anything that stood out to you when you were studying this team? Well, I mean, you look at uh, if you look at all of their categories. Um, you know, I've seen some timely plays, having watched. Uh, you know, the, so they're getting off the field in, in key situations and stuff, especially during this uh, winning streak that they have, <laughs> where they've gone two and three. I mean, that's a winning streak for them. I shouldn't be making fun of them. Um, <laughs> but no, if those you look are also at, the combined Seahawks wins. So. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but you you look at um, you, you look at their defense, and they rank you know pretty much at the bottom of almost every category. So. Yeah, it's 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 an, a defense that you should be able to they can be had, you know, and that's that's something that uh, I think it's not going to be so much about their defense as it is going to be about, you know, whether or not they can run the ball, establish some kind of rhythm offensively. And how about this? Get the ball to the tight ends, both of our tight ends and Everett. I'll ask you guys this maybe later, but I, I think he's been the biggest surprise by far. And um, and I, I've both of them, both him and Will Disley, have eighty percent catch ratio. So I mean, look, that's uh, that's a pretty nice, easy throw, and I'd love to see the tight ends get a little bit more involved. Yeah, certainly would, and and I think that Gerald Everett has been fantastic. I don't know about you guys, but he's certainly somebody that I would love to see the Seahawks bring back uh, next year. I think he's done enough. Uh, is showing what he's capable of doing, the the mentality that he has, the way that he approaches the game. Uh, just really love him as a football player in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that part of it is something that they've got to get going. But you know, in general, guys, instead it, it, for me pointing to one particular area that I would love to to see them you know highlight or get involved uh it, it really to me it comes down to playing good clean football and making good clean 
decisions. And, you know, with Russell Wilson this year, um, you have seen glimpses and flashes of, of what he what he we all know that he is capable of doing, but we have not seen it on a consistent basis for a full 60 minutes. And, and still you you see even amongst the good things that he has done since his return coming back from the finger injury, you still see some of those unusual inaccurate throws. And those are the things that you want to see cleaned up through this game. And if you can see that, I I, I do believe that the Seahawks rolled in this one, that they handled the game pretty easily from an offensive standpoint, um, that they're able to move the ball effectively. Now, the, the, the tough part is it's easy to say that, and normally it's it's a no-brainer, but this season it, it hasn't been the case. And so I think that that is a big part of this thing is, is you know, continuing to take the easy completions, part of that being the tight ends, Dave. Um, but the other part of it is when you make your decisions, being able to deliver an accurate throw, and that, that to me has been the name of the game or at least been the Achilles heel uh, of the second half of the season for Russell Wilson. For either of you, how does chemistry that sometimes has been there get offset? Is it sometimes injury? Is it guys missing time and not working with each other? I mean, it's such a it's such an important, but I think sometimes misunderstood element of play. What do you think is factored in for Seattle? Well, number one, when you have guys that miss time and come back, that's always a difficult thing. But I'm I'm going to point to one one particular play that I that I highlighted earlier in the week and reacted to was the simple third down miss to DK Metcalf on a on a choice route. And the reason why I point to that is not the inaccuracy of the throw, but it caught Russell Wilson off guard. What DK Metcalf was going to do to try and set up the outbreaking route. And you see Russell Wilson double clutch, and he's caught off guard by what DK does. Well, that is a new element to the offense that they haven't done before. They haven't really um, implemented choice routes uh, in Russell Wilson's 10 years here in Seattle. They finally have done that this year. Um, and, And these are new things that they're experiencing on the field together for the first time. And they've got to do a better job of being on the same page so nothing catches them by surprise. And that is what's been really surprising, especially with two very talented players that have had a ton of success together. All right, Dave, hold off on your answer because I do want to get back to it. It's an important factor for the Seahawks. Before that, though, we're joined right now by Ryan Neal, the Seattle Seahawks. Ryan, how's it going? Everything's going good. How's it going? Uh, It's going pretty well. You guys are going to face a Detroit Lions team, and we aren't entirely sure who's going to be at quarterback. How do you prep for a team, especially this year, when you aren't quite sure sure who you're going to face on offense? Well, you know, you, you, you got your uh, a couple of guys who has been in the lineup and uh we you know, you get information on who has been taking snaps in case the starter did go down and you know, you got the film. So really you just prepare for each and every one of them like it's a championship week, like it's you know, the starting quarterback just so you can get your mind right. You never wanna approach a game uh feeling a little different just because a backup quarterback is in, doesn't really matter, you gotta approach it all the same. So we're gonna approach it like it's a championship opportunity. Hey Ryan, who stands out to you? You you look at you got Jared Goff kind of I know this team is familiar with him and then uh, Amon Ra uh, St. Brown that guy looks really good who's who on their offense stands out to you 
Uh, definitely uh, St. Brown. He's a good player, a great player for a rookie. Uh, he's kind of coming to his own this year and has uh, become a top guy for him. And, of course, you know, the running back, DeAndre Swift, already has a reputation. So, look forward to that matchup. And, uh, you know, another one who I don't think is playing is their tight end, Hawkinson, who's always been a good player for him. So, you know, they had great guys. And, you know, those are kind of the guys that, you know, I expect to see uh, besides Hawkinson. Uh Ryan, there's an interesting point at, at this this point for you guys being in unfamiliar territory. Um, and Bobby talked about it yesterday about how there's still plenty to play for. There's a lot on the line, but um, you know that you guys are still playing. And there's also another aspect of this where you guys are continuing to put together your own resumes in terms of the film that you put out there. Um, you know, how much of that factors in in terms of the mindset that you have going into each and every single week, you know, no matter whether you're in the playoffs or not, that you're still going to play hard. Well, you know, I think you hit it right on the head, man. It's just about, you know, showing who you are. And I think times like these, you know, this is my first rodeo being on a uh, team that didn't make it to the playoffs. And really it's just about, okay, do you really love the game like you say you do? Do you really love playing football? Or are you going to be one of those guys who are going to make business decisions and just try to make it out? And, you know, the, the attitude of our team is, you know, we approach everything like we always approached it, full tilt, uh, ears pinned back, ready to go. You know what I mean? And you got to be willing to come out here and step out here and put that film because like you said, it's your name. It's your name on the film. It's you on that film, and the eye in the sky doesn't lie. And, then, you know, in situations like these, you got to just put on. You love this game for a reason. You've been playing it as, you know, since you were a kid. So go show the people why you love it still, even though you're not going to go uh, any further. Hey, uh, Ryan, uh, we will get back to football in just one minute uh, since I don't want to waste an opportunity to talk to you about that. Uh, but first, I, I'm loving this back and forth that you and fellow Seahawk Quandre Diggs have now on the huddle because, Ryan, there's a little bit of a disagreement here. Now, you came on with us. We had such a fun interview with you, and you said – Quandre Diggs, number one trash talker on the team. He never stops talking. This guy could be in his grave and still wake up and pop out of the casket and start talking. <laughs> we played that sound for Quandre, and he just said, lies. It, it's all lies. Do you have a rebuttal? Oh, do I got a rebuttal, man? I wish I could give him the rebuttal I want to give. He know he put <laughs> Quandre know exactly what I mean. That's exactly the type of move Quandre will pull, the perfect evil villain move. So he know what's up, man. <laughs> he know what's up. He still be talk man, this dude talk trash every day. I don't wanna hear that. I just gotta catch him in I gotta catch him in the lights. Y'all can see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need to film you need to get some evidence here. The man, evil he know, villain. He full of it. Yeah. yeah, he full of it. He full of it for sure. <laughs> Hey, uh, first of all, I just want to say I love that it's still that way. So I played, you know, probably before you were born, Ryan. But the fact that what you put on film is you're prideful about that. And it goes around the league and your peers see that. And not only coaches, but also, you know, the guys that, that you play against. I, I love that. But I want to make sure, did you celebrate your birthday? Because it was Christmas Eve for everybody else, but it's your birthday. And I, I've asked you before, like, do you get screwed on your birthday? Did they truly <laughs> celebrate your birthday on the 24th? Well, you know what? Uh, you know, these, you know, during days like these, these times around, you know, I, I spoil myself now. So, you know, I fully enjoy my birthday. I don't got to depend on nobody getting me stuff. So I, I feel pretty good about <laughs> what I did on my birthday. So, uh, yeah, I celebrated my birthday. Yeah, I had a good time, man. Bought me a couple stuff. So I'm good. all good now in this day and age. <laughs> That's go. good. Well, Ryan, I every time we interview you, I always wish we had more time. It's always so fun. So, uh, this will be one of our last shows. Hopefully we can get you back on uh, next season, though. Until then, have a good game Sunday. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. 
See ya. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Will Disley is going to join us next on The Huddle. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. And guys, it feels like the theme of today is having fun, right? And that seems like a silly thing to talk about, given the Seahawks have five wins. Not a lot of fans having fun right now. It's not fun not being in the playoffs. But when you start talking about how to get back on the same page and how to get back into it, Dave, you said one thing you're going to talk about uh, on Wyman and Bob later today is about having fun, how you would tell Russell Wilson just to have fun and find joy. Jake, you said that Russell Wilson talked about finding that joy. We just spoke with Ryan Neal, who talked about wanting to uh, have plays on tape that he's proud of and, and have some pride in his play and just have fun out there. Is that one of the things that factors into making sure that chemistry is right? Question for either of you. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's uh, – and, and I love, like I said to, to Ryan Neal, I love hearing him talk about that mm-hmm. because that's the thing that you uh, – um, that you want to you want to make sure everybody it, it really mattered to me what my peers thought what the rest of the NFL thought and I've told this story before but there was a linebacker for the Giants that came across the field and we had been watching each other on film and you know he's like hey man I think you do a good job on the inside and I was like wow I've been watching you too I mean that those kinds of things mean so much to you so you know people talk about well what are you playing for at this point obviously there's nothing on the line like Ryan Neal said it perfectly yeah they're not playing for anything there's nothing on the line the Pro Bowl votes have been uh, you know, already tabulated. No, they're not going to make the playoffs. But you know, what what are you? What are you? How are you playing when it really doesn't matter? And mm-hmm. that's that's the thing I think that uh, that should motivate guys. And I'm not sure if I answered your question, Stacy. No, but, I loved I loved the but, idea of how are you playing when it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Jake, how about you? What do you think? Well, it's always a pride thing, I mean, from that aspect. And that's where, you know, professional football becomes professional football here is is that when you're in this situation, um, you know, unfortunately you're not playing for the playoffs, but you are hopefully you've built enough of a culture that you're playing for the guys next to you. But there's also a selfish aspect of this where, uh, you know, as, as Ryan Neal said, the eye in the sky don't lie. And that is what you're being evaluated on by your peers. Uh, by people that are making personnel decisions and ultimately how much money you end up making in this league and how long you stick around. And so that part of it alone should be the motivating factor for you to play uh, full tilt at your very best, showing that you're a guy that um, you're putting your resume together and raising your hand on the field with your film and saying, I am part of the solution. I am part of the answer. I am not one of the guys that you watch on film and say, Phew, We've got to move on from this guy. We can do better. That's how we improve our team. You want to be part of the solution. And I think for a lot of guys who love the Seattle Seahawks, who love the culture here and and want to continue to be members of this team, uh, they, they've got an opportunity to to put that that stamp on these final couple games here and say that they should be a part of this run, and, and that is an important factor of it. We're going to be speaking with Will Disley in just a couple minutes here before we get Will on the line. Jake, I'll start with you for this one, and then Dave, I'll pop back to you, because Dave actually brought this up, that idea of the tight ends getting involved. Really loved what you've seen from Everett lately. Uh, Jake, this is something that I think we all expected to see earlier in the season from Waldron, himself a former tight end, former tight ends coach. Have you been surprised it's taken a little while to get going? I mean, yes and no. Uh, there, there are certain aspects of it that, like I said and described about the DK Metcalf choice routes, there's some newness to this offense that 
take has taken some time to work through. And when you have a new player like G- Gerald Everett, no matter how much you go through the offseason working together, there's going to be new things that you hit the field with or you don't know how they're going to win in, in man-to-man coverage here. And when you don't get those preseason games and those opportunities to work through that and see it, uh, you're doing it on the fly. And unfortunately, it has not been a smooth transition for them. And um, it, it has taken some time. But I do believe that you've gotten enough of a snapshot of Gerald Everett, what he brings to your team, um, and and ultimately, uh, you know, the dynamic play that he can bring that you feel comfortable about, you know, signing him for this year, that it was the right decision, and that you're probably going to work to try and bring him back again this next season. So um, I, I really like what Gerald Everett brings to the table for this team, and I think he's a I think he's a direct fit for the culture and attitude that Pete Carroll wants to have out on the field. Wyman, what have you seen from the tight ends? Well, I just, again, I feel like when you throw it to them, they catch it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's done. <laughs> Disley, Disley was the guy I thought was going to be the number three receiver. Um, you know, and, and I think Freddie Swine is, is very good. I, I just don't, I'm not sure about his upside. Uh, not a knock on him. I just think that that's the reality of it. Gerald Everett, I see a tremendous upside. Like he could, he could be like one of the elite tight ends just from what I've seen the way he plays. Like I said, he just stabs the ball out of the air. And then, you know, he, he is so good at not letting anybody tackle him and he, he runs great routes. I just didn't see that from him with the, with the Rams. So I, I really like what he brings. And, um, but yeah, with, with this, who we're going to get a chance to talk to, you know, he's a great blocker and, you know, maybe a better blocker than Gerald Everett, but, but I, I, you see that Gerald wants to block. I mean, and that's half the battle, right? You know, yeah. Jimmy Graham didn't want to block and they continued to use him in that regard. And I, I thought that was a huge mistake. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, to, to me, I, I, I feel like it's, I don't know, not an easy throw, Jake, to to the tight ends. But, you know, typically they're running, you know, and, and people forget about the tight ends for whatever reason. It's weird how they get open. It seems like they get open just because everybody's thinking about Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And uh, and they, those guys end up finding little creases and, and especially Everett. Yeah, he's just been – I can't say enough about that kid. Uh, joining us right now, speaking of the tight ends, is tight end Will Disley. Will, how's it going? It's good. It's good to be uh, back playing football again after the short little off time, but uh, it's good to be back on the air. I was well. <laughs> we're glad to talk to you. I mean, you might play uh, a game. I, I know you didn't uh, necessarily, but you might uh, play another game here in the snow. What's one of the most, I guess, uh, uncomfortable, coldest, hottest, whatever conditions you've ever played in? Uh, I mean, I'm playing. I'm from Montana, so I'm playing quite a few. Uh, <laughs> so you're like everywhere. <laughs> I think it was my eighth grade. We did a crosstown rival between the two middle schools, and it was negative six with windshield. Oh, I think and that they was made probably eighth graders play. One. Oh yeah, it was awesome. You know what? <laughs> no, they made parents watch eighth graders. That's that's <laughs> that, that, true crime right there. Yes, yes, yeah. Will. Uh, uh, did you have a good game, Will? Do you remember? Were you good in the snow? Yeah, they moved me to fullback because they didn't think they could throw me the ball at tight end position. So we just ran fullback dive like 30 times. Yeah. Hey, that's kind of like now. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, 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 Will, I've been the, I've been the chairman of the Get Will Disley the Ball Committee, and uh, yeah, you, you, 
25 targets, I think, and 20 catches. And, man, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, is it frustrating or are you just like, hey, this is just the way the offense is going? I mean, I, I you know, I, I know you're not a complainer or anything, but I'm going to complain for you. I feel like they got to get you the ball more. Well, I appreciate that. I got an ally, you know, somewhere out there. But, uh, you know, it's hard. I think the, you know, obviously my mindset is to help the team win. And, you know, when you're not being able to produce to help the team win, I think that's, you know, where the frustration lies in. And, um, you know, we, we have the fewest number of plays ran, so you can kind of look at that as why there's not as many targets here or there. But, uh you know, I'm just a guy who tries to help the team win and, uh, you know, wear a lot of different hats, you know, special teams, you know, blocking for Russ, blocking for Penny, blocking for Chris, and then catching the ball as well. So, um, you know, when you don't get those targets, um, you kind of got to lean on your other hats that you wear and, and just try and be great at your job. And uh, that's kind of the way I approach the game. But, um, you know, I certainly would love to get the ball more. I think I can help the team win and, um, you know, be a factor down these last two games. Now, uh, we'll have to ask you first, uh, when you were out, were, 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 you, were you doing okay? Were you feeling symptoms or were, was, was it, you know, asymptomatic and, and having to do, you know, your, your you know, normal standard procedure quarantine? Uh, yeah, no, I did come down with a little bit of a head cold, um, but no lingering symptoms and they went away. Um, you know, it was kind of frustrating. I, I felt like I was, you know, healthy enough to play on Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, and if it was a different sickness, I certainly would have played. But um, you know, obviously, there's some severity with COVID and um, precautions that we have to take for others. So I understand, um, you know, that's kind of the rules, and you got to abide by them. But um, you know, it was frustrating being out and not being able to help my team win, and um, you know, as a Montana boy, not being able to play in that snow. So it was tough to watch on Sunday. Yeah. Hey, Will. I- Oh, I could, I, you know, I, I could only imagine. And, and as you're sitting back and watching it from a different perspective that you, you know, you haven't, luckily you haven't had in quite some time, um, you know, what was that like for you? How hard was that to, to sit back and watch from afar rather than being on the field and being a part of the action? Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly, you know, my first two years, uh, you know, kind of being forced to sit on the sidelines with injury, um, you know, I, I work tremendously hard to make sure my body's ready to go, and um, I've shown that the last two seasons that I've been able to play in every game, and so that's that's behind me, and I work really hard to keep it behind me so I can stay as healthy as I can to be on the field. And so when you're forced to sit on the sidelines and not being able to contribute, um, you know, it takes a mental toll for sure. I think that's, you know, every player wants to play, every player wants to help the team win, and, you know, when you can't, um, it's something that you got to deal with. But at the same time, you know, I had to – you know, do my role, and I kind of knew I wasn't going to play because of the COVID protocol, so it was all about helping Colby get ready, helping G get ready, and um, <clears throat> helping Tyler Mayberry when, you know, he got his name called. So just trying to do the little things to help everyone win, and, uh, you know, but it was tough, you know. I wish I could have been out there. I'm, I'm ready to unleash it this Sunday for sure. Well, and fans are ready to watch you. It'll be the final home game for the Seahawks, certainly not the last game. You guys are still going to take on the Cardinals. But but until then, we know it's not the outcome of the season you guys wanted, but we also know that you're still giving it your all. You've still got two more games to play, and fans are really excited to see you back out there this weekend, Will. Have a good one. I appreciate that. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. All right. Uh, Coming up next in Hour 2 of the Huddle, we're going to talk to a couple experts here, Steve Rabel, Ray Roberts. Also, we got an opponent preview with Detroit Lions reporter Danny Rogers. It's all coming your way next. You are listening to the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. We are going in the trenches. It's how we kick off Hour 2 of every episode of the Huddle with Ray Roberts. Ray, how's it going? 
it's going all right. Trying to deal with all this cold and, uh, and oh, the God. snow. You know, the Cadillac isn't a good sled, so you get stuck <laughs> in the house a lot. <laughs> hey, Ray, what, what's one of the worst conditions you've ever played in? Oh, I've played in uh, Green Bay in, like, lots of snow and below freezing weather. Uh, where, I mean, I came, we came into the stadium. They had to, like, clear the field, like, several times before the game. The fans oh. had little shovels digging their seats out in the <laughs> – uh, up in the uh, stands and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was that kind of cold where the only contact you wanted to have was during the play because afterward you didn't want anyone patting you on the back or anything because it all stings when that happens. And so uh, so it was like, hey, you run off the sideline to go play, don't touch me. No high fives, nothing, we're good. Let, let's, let me get to the bench. <laughs> yeah, a high five like one of your fingers might break off, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, go ahead. Go Ray, ahead, <laughs> Ray, you know, we've seen a little bit of a transition here when you, when it comes to Rashad Penny and, and, you know, seeing him hit the hole, seeing him be able to be effective and, and doing so, you know, consistently for him. And he, he's got he's got another great opportunity to do that again the, against the Detroit Lions. But how much of that has been the offensive line doing a really good job in the running game, creating holes and creating lanes? Well, I mean, the – it, during the the Rams game, uh, you could really see uh, that the Seahawks didn't get to run the ball as much as they like, but uh, but you could see the lanes that were being created by the offensive line. But the thing to me, Jake, though, is that I, I swear that Rashad Penny kind of energized the offensive line just because of the way he came back and was running hard and finishing his runs and giving up his body and not really like – plan to not get hurt but just you know running through tackles and and the long runs and I think it really energized those guys uh to have them in the in the backfield running like that and so I I think they grind a little harder strain a little more was a little bit quicker with you know with their with their footwork finishing a little more and so sometimes it just takes a little extra of those types of things to get those lanes created that's interesting you know that uh that Penny I mean, I, I don't know if at the beginning of the year anybody would have ever uh, thought to utter those words that you just said, you know, energizing the offensive line. Right. And, you know, and the things I see, Ray, are and see, find out, you know, what, what you're seeing. But to me, number one, when he makes contact, his feet are going now. And, and that was mm-hmm. something that, that wasn't happening. The other thing is uh, he had a seven-yard run the other day where at the end he ran a guy over instead of stepping out of bounds. I loved seeing that, but do you think it was something that somebody said to him that he it clicked for him? What do you think uh, has made the difference? Because we haven't really seen that consistently out of him. Well, I think the one thing that was really telling was his uh, post-game interview uh, when he was talking about um, just. Re- I don't know if it was uh, you know some some of the other running backs in the in the meeting room or whatever, but but he was saying that you know I forgot that I was 230 pounds, you know like Jeez. like he was really open and honest about where he was you know and mentally and so I I think when he first got here it was like hey like you got to be some combination of Chris Carson and Marshawn Lynch and that really wasn't mm-hmm. his style and then he started getting hurt then he didn't quite you know have an identity as a running back and then somehow either you know Adrian Peterson or 
Chris Carson, and you know, he talked a lot about uh, some of those guys, like really encouraging him and, and telling, you know, showing him what he's capable of, and those kinds of things, reminding him of who he is. And then now it seems like he's kind of settled into like who he is as a runner. Like he he can run with power. He can hit the hole fast and and break through some of those arm tackles. He can finish the runs hard and and uh you know like like one of the first games he was back it was, a, it was a play like you're talking about dave they were running towards the uh locker room and he was going out of bounds and typically he would just step out of bounds but he kind of threw a form into a guy and like that kind of stuff we just didn't see and the way he picks up blitzes and things like you know you know giving his body up to pick up uh the blitz pick up and stuff like that so i feel like he just uh some clock came on or some he was turned to someone kind of unlocked something enough in him to remind him that this dude had a tremendous career in college and was a tremendous kickoff returner, running back. He could do a lot of different things. And so now it seems like uh, that stuff has kind of come uh, full circle for him. Hey, uh, Ray, this is feels like kind of a, a stupid question, but I can't really think of anyone better to ask when we're talking about run blocking and talking about what that can do, um, knowing that uh, that the Seahawks might have to be replacing three starters on the offensive line. So you start talking about whether your strength is pass blocking or run blocking. Why does it sometimes feel like offensive lines excel in one area, but not the other? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think uh, a lot of times it, it depends on um, you don't, re- you don't always have a really good quarterback and a really good running back. Mm. You know, you, it's like uh, you either have a, a guy that can like sling it all over the place, or you put more emphasis on pass blocking and things, and then or and and not as you know, not that you don't. Uh, put it on run blocking as much, but you tend to build your offensive line around dudes that can pass block. Um, and it, it is kind of strange that that happens sometimes. Like, uh, but I would say w- when I played, I prided myself on uh, there were dudes that were that could pass block better than me. There were dudes that could run block better than me, but there wasn't a, a dude that could do both equally as well. And so that's the kind of the way I looked at it for myself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is kind of strange. I don't know what really causes it. Um, you know, I don't because I don't think people put extra yeah. emphasis on whatever. I think it's just the way they build the offensive line. Yeah, makes sense. And they're going to have some building to do. I mean, we'll see who they bring back or re-sign. But uh, I'm eager to, uh, you know, when we get you back on kind of as the off season goes and, and we start seeing them add to, to talk about what direction they might be going in. Until then, this has been In the Trenches with Ray Roberts. Ray, have a wonderful weekend and have fun on the pre and post game show. Yes, sir. You guys have a good one. See ya. Thanks, Ray. All right. Voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel, joins us next on The Huddle. Don't go anywhere. This is The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross, joined now by the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Raves, how's it going? Stacey, uh, I have a bone to pick. No. We? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did I Not do? Not with you. Not okay. with you. Oh, boy. I'm just wondering how many more times am I going to have to hear that commercial with Jake and the chip on the windshield. <laughs> yeah, making me crazy, Jay. <laughs> oh, come on! You don't, you, you're, you're not a big fan of chip. Oh my God! It, one more time, and I'm going to have to park the car and leave it. You know who does that voice for Chip? That's me, Rabes. Did you know that? Wyman. I do voices. No, yeah. Is it real? No, it's not. That'll make you hate it even more. <laughs> the fact that, exactly. Rabel, that you believed exactly. it for a minute, though, is all I needed to make my whole day. And, and, and the other thing that's bugging me since we're on the subject, Dave, when we, we were, Dave and I just finished doing some taping at uh, Q13 here in the city. 
When uh-huh. you parked your car, Dave, when you came back to it, did you have, did you find that a flock of birds came by the car at some point? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did throw some bird seed on your windshield before okay, I left. Okay, that's what it, that's what it was. Because my car looks like the surface of the moon right now. It is such a mess. I, every bird in town found me and hit me. So, uh, okay, now I feel better. Thank you. Yeah, you're listening to Airing of Grievances on the yeah, Huddle featuring Steve Rabel. Like Wyman's got your first question. Wyman, take it away. All right, Rabes. What, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you, you talked about finishing today when, when we were taping our Seahawks Saturday night thing, but. You know, I, I feel like it's fairly easy for a bunch of, especially this is a pretty veteran group. Carlos Dunlop, now, he knows what it's like to be in this situation, right? Carlos Dunlop coming from Cincinnati. Quandre Diggs from Detroit. Uh, Dwayne Brown from right. Houston. You know, these guys all know what the drill is. and But some of these guys, like Bobby, he's never been in this situation. But I feel like there's enough veteran leadership that there's going to be some voices in there talking about, how important it is to win this game. Yeah, and, and again, as we talked about today, uh, it, it is all about finishing, and it's, it's whether you're thinking in terms of just finishing an individual play or finishing the season the right way. And I thought it was interesting because Bobby talked about it yesterday. I think somebody brought it up to him uh, in a question, and, you know, what is your sense for this team after this season? And he said something to the effect that, well, you know, you have to believe that there are going to be changes made. You don't go 5-10 and 10 up to this point and, and not have some changes made. And he said, and whether I'm a part of that or not, uh, we'll, you know, we'll see. He's been around long enough to understand that there are, you know, those kinds of repercussions. And still, you have to be professional about what you do and go out there and play hard and, uh, and make plays for your team, uh, as I expect he will do for these next two games. But you've got to believe that there are guys who are kind of looking ahead and thinking, man, we have to do well, we have to play, we have to finish, because our futures may may ride on it. Yeah, there's no doubt, and it's it's unusual territory for them to be in, <laughs> as we've known, and it's been over a decade since they've, as a team, have kind of been in that situation. But, Rabel, you, you go into this game against Detroit, and on paper, this should be a no-brainer. The Seattle Seahawks win, but it's not that simple. You thought the same thing against Chicago this last week, and they weren't able to get it done. What is the, I guess, the number one key to you for the Seahawks to be able to do what they should do, which is win this game? Well, I would love to say, you know, a finish, as we talked about, uh, but maybe more specifically, um, get out there on top and stay on top. Put your foot on the back of their neck. Make plays that you know you can make and you've made them in the past. And whether that means Russ connecting with his receivers or the offensive line, you know, protecting him, uh, being able to run the football, it, it appears that they found that. With uh, Rashad Penny, they have found the ability to run the football uh, here, yes, late in the going. And, and then the, uh, the, just the ability to, to defensively make plays when you have to make them when they're in front of you. Um, somebody has to step up to make those plays. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago against the Rams, guys. Your best players have to play their best in these critical games. Well, here we are, two games left. You have a chance to to make the season a, a little more bearable, but your best players still have to go out there and make their make their best plays, and and that starts with Russ. 
it starts with Pete and the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinators making the calls. And then when your number's called, you have to make the play. And it really is kind of simple as that, execute. Hey, speaking of the best plays, this has less to do with a preview for this specific game, but uh, more to do with what might happen this game, which is in this game, which is some crazy moments. What's uh, for you personally, uh, Steve, one of the more fun things or satisfying things to call? Is it a running back like Rashad Penny kind of breaking loose and, and picking up, you know, 60 yards on a touchdown? Or is it something like a pick six that kind of catches you by surprise? Wow, that's, that's interesting, Stacey, because I've asked, Defensive players, what would you rather have, a, right. a big sack and a forced fumble or a, a pick six? And, and they have to think about that for a bit, and, and uh, as do I now. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think what, what is the, the more fun call. Um, oftentimes it's that quick – it's like a pick six. It's like an interception or a yeah. fumble return or a touchdown because it's such a change uh, kind of agent. Uh, even if it's not a pick six, a big – interception and a big return or something like that or just just think about I, I can think back to last year the Dallas game the interception by Ryan Neal in the end zone to end that game virtually mm. uh, you know those plays they don't come any bigger than that play and uh, so you know I guess anything that that makes me get excited is the most fun play that I have to call if it gets me jumping out of my chair and yelling so loud that Wyman can't hear himself think <laughs> then that, to me, is, has been a successful play. I was going to say, you and Wyman both have to know so much about this team, but not only that, you're around this team. The story probably matters, too. When you were talking about those big plays, I was like, well, I guess just not calling any pick, but maybe it's Quandre Diggs' sixth, which would be a career high, or maybe when Jamal got his first, right? It's like the story behind it, too. Exactly. When, when Jamal ripped off a couple of those big runs a couple right. of weeks ago and scored, and you could see all of that potential – that he had the reason why John and Pete drafted him uh, four years ago. And, and now you finally get to see some of that show up and we're seeing it more and more each week. You just have to feel good for a guy like that. Uh, and the, the, the play that he has, uh, that he has had the last few weeks uh, and on the defensive side, obviously a big play by Bobby or a big interception, a big sack, you know, uh, at, at a crucial time. Dunlap had what a couple of them this last weekend, uh, Rasheem Green had a couple of them. I, I love those kinds of plays. And then the stories of the guys who maybe have struggled a little bit to get to that point uh, and then are making the most of that opportunity. Hey, Steve, uh, talk about some of your coaches because we get kind of an interesting – and this is what I love about the NFL. You can do it so many different ways. You know, you look at uh, Vrabel in Tennessee, and he's kind of a kind of like a, a player. You've got Bill Belichick, who is you know stoic and doesn't doesn't show a lot of personality, and then you got Dan Campbell, who was talking about biting kneecaps and everything. We talked today about how he's very. Uh, yeah, I wonder what that tastes like, by the way, the, the kneecap. But but you know, he very is genuine, brand. very genuine, uh, and uh, he he. I mean, his players love him, but I think it's interesting how you can get it done a whole bunch of different ways, personality-wise, as far as coaches go. Yeah, and, you know, Pete is a great example of that. Pete really hasn't changed. Now, he was probably somewhat different when he first started. He would probably agree when he first got started with, uh, as a head coach, that is, with uh, the Jets and then his opportunity with the New England um, and eventually, which led to Southern Cal, but he really developed his his coaching philosophy, and that is what it is for Pete Carroll. 
which makes him, I don't want to say completely unique, but makes him really unique among coaches that I've associated with over the years, a philosophy that includes uh, players' personalities and and how to achieve the best out of a, a player by you know kind of letting them be who they are instead of trying to mold them into something you think they should be. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that made has made Pete unique and, and has made him the kind of guy that players want to play for. I, on the other hand, go back to the old school where I played for a guy who was a great person and a great personality and a fun guy to be around, but on the field he was all business. And it was, uh, you know, uh, he, he was just kind of a tough guy. He smiled sometimes, but not often. And when he got mad, you knew it. And he demanded certain things. Chuck Knox, as you know, was a, a certain kind of coach. Don't tell me how rough the water is. Just bring in the ship. And uh, they're all different to, to a certain extent. But I think one of the things that they all have in common, Dave, was something that Mike Holmgren always used to talk about. The best coaches are great teachers. And that was what Mike was. Uh, that's what so many good coaches are. Excellent teachers to be able to relay their ideas to their players and get them to perform. So you have a whole lot of different ones, and they all can be successful. Uh, and we have seen one of the best in the business here for the last uh, decade or more. He is the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Steve, I know we won't uh, see any playoff ground made up in this one, but I do hope we see some really good stories, and I can't wait to hear your column. Don't don't disrupt Wyman too much. we got to get him fresh in next week. No, no uh, crazy hearing loss there from you screaming, okay? Hey, I'll, I'll do my best on that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thanks, Raves. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Uh, happy New Year. Happy I'll just New get Year. Out of your New way, Year. Rabel. Don't don't worry. And Happy New Year. And good luck cleaning all the bird crap off of your car. <laughs> oh my God, I, it's just disgusting. Thank you, though. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Raves. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. We are going to step over enemy lines for an opponent preview. Detroit Lions reporter Danny Rogers joins us next. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Ross. Joining us now for an opponent preview, a step across enemy lines, is Danny Rogers, the reporter for the Detroit Lions, DetroitLions.com. Danny, how's it going? Hi, Stacy. Thanks for having me. It's going well. Of course, we're we're actually really, really excited to, to preview this game. It's Seattle's final home game. They have a chance to close out with a win. And the Lions, uh, you know, they're a team that struggled, and yet they've still had uh, some wins, some surprising wins, uh, thanks to some, some good plays. So, so I know people are overlooking the Lions. So, Danny, tell us in advance some players that we should not be overlooking on this Lions team. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many young players that have really ro- risen up to these these really important roles because the injured reserve list has not been nice to the Detroit Lions um, this season. It's it's actually crazy because there's this big billboard on Ford Field and there's about eight or nine Detroit Lions players on it. Seven of them are now on IR. Um, so it's it's insane. The namesake players of the Detroit Lions that you're probably used to, they're on IR. So you've had to see a lot of uh, players step up. And then, of course, you've got COVID that's um, been taking a hit. But you've got to be on the lookout for the rookie wide receiver, Amon Ra St. Brown. Uh, he was thrust into that role after some veteran receivers had gone on IR or just didn't make the cut. So he is now the uh, rookie of the month in the NFL. So you've got to look out in the receiving game for Amon Ra St. Brown. Um, Khalif Raymond is another name in there that can sneak some touchdowns in. He's more of a veteran, uh, but is really starting to make a name for himself here 
in Detroit. And then from the running back position, I mean, you've got the vet, Jamal Williams. DeAndre Swift is supposed to be coming back this week. He's missed um, the last few weeks dealing with an injury, but the staff says they aren't going to shut him down. We'll do that after the season. So second year, DeAndre Swift, he's, he's looking to come back. And then Craig Reynolds has been awesome in the run game for the Detroit Lions, back-to-back 100-plus yard game, games. So uh, those are a couple of the big names to look out for. COVID is still taking a hit on this roster, um, but there's some good pieces that, that can definitely help these Lions finish out strong this season. Danny, and, and that is one of the things that has you know stood out to me about the Detroit Lions is, is that you really look at their games, and yeah, you could point to about maybe four or five where they did get blown out, but for the most part, these are close losses. These are heartbreaking losses that the Detroit Lions have had, and they've been playing hard for Dan Campbell uh, now towards the end of the season, starting to build some confidence. They're 2-2. Two and two. Uh, What has this experience been like under Dan Campbell the first season and how the players have reacted to him? Yeah, I mean, it, it takes a lot for um, for players to really bounce back and, and to be in this position of, of being on the Detroit Lions in a rebuild, but when Dan Campbell is your coach, I mean, he just he invigorates this team. He injects so much energy into them. I mean, week eight uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles was the worst game on this docket for the Lions. 44-6 to six was the final. They come back, bounce back against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, should have won that game had it not been for a missed field goal, an extra point. But they tie the Steelers. Um, so, I mean, all of these games, except maybe two, two or three, have been extremely close. I mean, that win over the Arizona Cardinals um, speaks volumes. This Lions team, no one picked them. They were not favored. No one had any um, optimism in that winning, in the Lions winning that game. So for them to pull out a big win against Cliff Kingsbury's Cardinals, I mean, it just goes to show that uh, these Lions do not go down without a fight. Everything that they embody is because of their head coach, Dan Campbell, who, if you have heard any pressers, um, soundbite after soundbite for the national media. He's always uh, been on ESPN Sports Center, Good Morning Football, uh, as of late because of his personality, and he's really even keeled. So these players know what they're going to get every single day, um, and it's a lot of energy, and it's a head coach that's going to fight for his players. Hey, out of curiosity, just to stay in this vein, we were just talking about Dan Campbell uh, yesterday, and actually when uh, the news came down that Urban Meyer was fired, we were kind of looking at a couple programs that did have new coaches that were rebuilding, and it was just such an insane juxtaposition to look at the way that it seems on the outside players really fight for and play for Dan Campbell, uh, a team that also has two wins, whereas Urban Meyer just clearly wasn't a great fit with Jacksonville. Do you see kind of the foundations of something special that can be built in Detroit? Like what what have you seen so far as far as the direction of this franchise? I'm a Michigan alum too. So Stacey, no, the, <laughs> Some full disclosure. Just, what, a, what a scenario um, down in Jacksonville. Yeah. It's a, it, from Detroit, it's, it's completely different. Um, you have a first year head coach, granted he did have some interim time um, before. However, you have a first year head coach, but he has implanted these other coaches. I mean, you have Aaron Glenn, he gets his first shot as defensive coordinator. Uh, the defense has been lights out as of late, and they have been the most impacted in terms of IR and COVID. But every single game, you have a new person stepping up, and they're probably an undrafted free agent or a rookie. That's just, it's just the direction is that there's a lot of good coaches put in place that can develop players here. Um, you have Charles Harris, who people 
he just it was underwhelming what he had done so far. He comes into the Detroit Lions and spends time with Aaron Glenn, um, one of the youngest, newest defensive coordinators in the league, uh, and you're hearing his name again, and he's having one of the best seasons of his entire career. So the direction is, okay, get all of these young players in right now. Granted, they probably didn't mean to play all these young players due to IR and COVID, but they're getting reps. They're getting really, really good reps, and they're, de- they're being developed. You're seeing it here in the latter part of the season. Um, these rookies and these players who haven't worked out on other teams come here and get developed. So that's the direction. Um, I, I, knew, I know the record is not what Lions fans want to see, just two wins on the season. Um, but there is some room to pick up at least one more, one more game going up against uh, Seahawks, Seahawks, maybe. Um, so who, who's having more of a down year? I know you guys know that. So the direction is, is, is really good for this organization. Danny, we're we're still in denial that the Seahawks are uh, are in a bad year. Okay, so you know we're going to live in a world where the Seahawks are still winning. They're still in the playoff hunt. We're 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 having a hard time here accepting this reality right now. Danny's but, over here uh, trying to be too honest. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, making too much sense. I'm, I'm I'm from Detroit, so you nothing you say is going to make me feel bad or feel I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh man, uh, but uh, you're you're 100 right, and and that is why I view this game as as a game that is going to be really close. Uh, I, I I really firmly believe that, and you watch how the game went with Chicago uh, this last week for the Seahawks. They were in control for a lot of it, but um, Detroit, they're playing so hard right now. You could just see them when I watched them on film, uh, a team that really believes in what they're doing right now and just gaining a lot of confidence to finish the season. And they're a team, despite like the Seahawks, who are having to learn how to play through uh, a new situation and, and be motivated. The Detroit Lions are, are playing extremely motivated. They've got a lot to play for these these next two games despite their record. Uh, to set up 2022, what have they done to be able to put themselves in a position to uh, really put the rebuild process uh, moving forward for Dan Campbell and this crew, and, and what do they have to do to continue to build upon what they did in year one? Yeah, Jake, that's a very timely question because today uh, coordinators and assistant coaches were getting the free agent question, like what is it going to take to bring this free agent back or would you like to see this guy in 2022? So these are two big games, although the Lions only have two wins and they're not in the playoff hunt. Um, But it shows these free agents who have the opportunity to go out and pick another team that, hey, Detroit is building something here and it's really good. The culture is awesome. The coaches on the staff, um, someone, our, our PR guy, Greg, um, extraordinaire, tweeted out Madden, a Madden picture yesterday. Seven of our coaches were in Madden 06. So it's a lot of former players, so they know how to coach these players, these current players currently. Um, so you have some really good young coaches who are going to give it their all. A lot of them are going to go on to coordinating positions, so they have to give this job everything they've got. So Detroit really is making a good case for free agents um, that despite the record, the rebuild process is in motion. That Detroit Lions, they can develop talent, which hasn't happened necessarily um, to a great extent over the last few years. So uh, the the case is being made if they can get one or two wins here um, to close out the season. Of course, Lions will end the season in Ford Field against the Green Bay Packers. There have been talks of um, 
some more reserve players getting getting some reps. So that'll be interesting to see. I know Green Bay is still playing for uh, their seeding. So to end the, end the season on a high note, like this team has not given up even a single ounce during this entire season, it means a lot in 2022 in terms of bringing back the free agents. But you also have the undrafted free agents who are here in Detroit doing incredibly well, like Craig Reynolds, who was signed through 2022. So you're already building some really great um, some blocks. And it's kind of the whole stacking the brick-by-brick brick mantra um, on a daily basis. So it's, a, it's just a really good direction. The foundation is there. Um, the Lions are, are showing that they can give undrafted free agents a shot, that they can develop them, and then the rookies like Amon Ross St. Brown, like, hey, you should be excited when you get drafted to Detroit because you're going to get developed, uh, barring no injuries. So it, a really good foundation for 2022 has certainly been set. She is Danny Rogers, a Detroit Lions reporter. Danny, I tell you to be careful of the snow when you get here in Seattle, but I think you guys are a little more familiar with it uh, out there in Detroit. <laughs> so otherwise, we'll see you here in Seattle, Danny. Yep, getting some snow as we speak. I appreciate it, Stacey and Jake. Thank you. All right, Sharon, our final thoughts from today. It's coming your way next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. And guys, before I ask you what stands out about the Detroit Lions, the Seahawks' next opponent, I need to put both of you on blast for disrespecting me during the break and doubting my ability if there was a contest between the three of us to see who could bring in the most grocery bags from the car to the house. All bags are plastic. I think I could bring in the most. What makes you think that? I just, I feel like you guys are underestimating the strength and the fact that I am closest to the ground and have the least gravitational pull on the bags. Let's, let's go with hand size. Okay. Arm length. Yes. Yeah. I don't in, know. In, uh, you have neither, Stacy. I think I could carry strength. 20 bags. Will and determination, Stacey, um, I've heard you complain about, you know, colds or little owies that you've had, and That's I don't lie. think you have the the sheer will and determination from the car into the kitchen to match what Dave and I could do. I just I have a hard time believing that. I'll show both of you. It's between C. Um, uh, Raj with the big burly uh, beard and Jake and myself. You're not in yeah. a conversation. And remember that picture of Jake w at University of Miami with yeah, the shirt with the off. Yeah, with the sledgehammer. She's holding yeah. a sledgehammer. Don't, yeah. Jake, you got to underestimate that. that. That's fine. That's fine. We'll have to test this theory one day. Well, Dave, I'll start with you for this one. Uh, one thing that stood out looking at this Lions team when you talk about uh, the Seahawks matchup this Sunday. Yeah, uh, this uh, Amon Ross St. Brown guy, I, mm -hmm. I really like. He was a fourth rounder or a third rounder out of USC. And he kind of exemplifies the sort of, I don't know, they're, they're obstinate, this team. Like they, they want to go out and you look at the, the two wins coming late in the season, but you look at the, the way that he plays, he's got a little bit of an attitude. You know, he blocks hard. He is one of those guys that, um, you know, is not going to be taken down. And if he gets a defender who, you know, grabs him and push him, pushes him out of bounds, he's going to rip his, you know, arm away from him. He's just one of those nasty players that, I appreciate, and the reason why is because I've been on these kinds of teams before, and you're angry. You know, you're you're mad. You, you want to, and that's the way that you play. So, he kind of uh, he kind of exemplifies that. I thought it was interesting. Also, uh, I'm looking at the the website, Detroit Lion website. So Dan Quinn, if you go to the coaching staff, you and you guys should go look at his picture, and his tie is totally crooked. 
You put a tie on, but it's it's crooked in his profile. But, um, you know, you were talking to the reporter there in Detroit. They have Mark Brunel, Anthony Lynn, Deuce mm-hmm. Staley, a guy named Hank Fraley, mm-hmm. who played in the league, Antoine Randall L. Um, on defense, they got Aaron Glenn, uh, a guy named Kelvin Shepard. So, yeah, they got a lot of ex-players that uh, – you know, uh, have been through these kinds of things. And so, yeah, what did she say? There was like seven coaches or six coaches on the 06 Madden uh, you know, pretty uh, wild. video game or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a this is a scrappy team. They're going to come in here with an attitude, and they're going to come in here and thinking, you know, and what's is interesting because, you know, you think – I almost asked this guy yesterday, like, do you guys expect to win uh, when you come in here? Because it was a reporter from Detroit. And I'm like, of, of course they do. Of course they do, man. They, they got two wins and a tie, and they're coming in here and playing a team that's five wins. I, I, it's just unbelievable to me. It just kind of brings you back to what did you think at the beginning of the year? I think my prediction was like 13-4. and four. Uh, two right. things, Wyman. First of all, uh, the receiver you were talking about, St. Brown, he was a fourth rounder. Uh, you yeah. were right. And also, yes, Dan Campbell having a crooked tie in this photo feels very on brand. Uh, yes. And I love it. I'm here for it. I am absolutely <laughs> That's here right. for it. That's, he's on brand. Very <laughs> Jake, well said. Yeah. Uh, you can, um, we've been talking about a couple things today. Uh, either what you've seen from Detroit, what stands out uh, outside of, uh, obviously, the uh, the playing experience of their coaches, uh, really great wide mm-hmm. receiver that, that Wyman talked about. Or you could um, you could look at, too, like what, what the Seahawks are playing for in this one. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, one of the cool things, you know, as, as Wyman mentioned about the, the coaching staff that they've collected with Dan Campbell, it was a conscious decision by him to show that, hey, former players, they can coach. And I think that that's also an experiment that they are going through right now, that they can put a collective staff together of former players um, and I, I'm rooting for them because I think it would open the door for a lot of those guys uh, that are looking to get into coaching um, and represent, um, you know, those those players that have uh, played and, and mm-hmm. that they can get it done on, on the other side of it, too, if, if that's what they want to do. But um, in terms of the matchup in the game, uh, you know, I'm going to come back to, you know, three things that I really think have to get done. One, a good, clean football game for Russell Wilson from start to finish. Number two. Rashad Penny in the running game continuing to uh, excel, uh, continuing to build off of a performance that they had this last week against Chicago. Um, And then finally, Detroit, when they want to come in here and establish that physical play, they're going to do it through the run game. And winning the line of scrimmage is going to be key. And if you can do those three things, if those three things can be accomplished, you're going to win the time of possession battle which is ultimately going to help you win the game, and it's going to allow you to control the game from start to finish. And that's ultimately what you want to see because why? Because they're capable of it, and that's what's been so frustrating. And as we've talked through all these things, that's why this season has been so incredibly difficult and frustrating is because they are capable uh, of doing so much more and and producing at a higher level, and and, uh, they have fallen short of expectations. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if I can handle – watching this team lose to D- Detroit and be two and six at home to finish the year. It's just, I, yeah. I'll be besides myself. I'll be hate, beside myself. I hate the sound of that. I know we all do. And I, you know, my final thought is, is going to be echoing you guys, which is uh, a, that there are a couple players on this team. You got to keep an eye out for, uh, and they're, they're more than just the record. And two, uh, that, that maybe the key is looking at how the lions might be playing right now, which is you might be losing, but if you playing, if you're playing the game, thinking that you're playing towards something, 
something and you're building up, it's probably a lot mentally, emotionally easier than playing in a losing season, thinking that you're losing something or you're heading towards something bad. So I can only imagine Detroit is looking at their road as moving up. I would imagine the Seahawks have to challenge their mindset to do the same. And we'll see what this uh, what this game brings. It, it should be a good one. Uh, have some snow out there. Wyman will be on the call along with Rabes and, uh, and Jake and I will be back on Monday to break this down. Uh, until then, you guys, don't forget this game between the Lions and the Seahawks going to be at Lumen Field. Everyone stay safe, stay warm. We'll talk to you next week.